you are watching the Capsule in Conversation podcast dedicated to women and their well-being. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by the founder and curator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause podcast, Omi Shadi Bernie Scott, to talk stepping into the menopausal multiverse, navigating change and the importance of intergenerational conversations. So sit back, relax and get ready to join us in our conversation. Hello all, thank you so much for being with me today. I am delighted to have met my guest in London town as she joins us as part of a whistle-stop tour of the UK from her home in North Carolina. A seventh-generation black Southern feminist, storyteller and social justice advocate, she is also the creator and the editor of the hugely successful The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause podcast and platform, a multimedia project focused on normalizing menopause and aging through the centering of the stories of black women, women identified and gender expansive people. She has written for Oprah Daily, Forbes, Vogue, and Alicia Keys' well-being platform, Key Soul Care, amongst many other publications, and is passionate about creating a new narrative for menopausal women. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome her today. She is an absolute joy. <laughs> she is the brilliant Omi Shade Bernie Scott. Hey, hey, Natalie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really happy to be there, here, and also to be here in person. Like This yeah. is kind of a sweet spot right now. It's so lovely. Lovely to welcome you in yeah. person. And we just said this, we're kind of doing a little bit of a change over here because right. you are my first lovely American guest. And, and you're my first in-person UK interview. So this is like a, a real precious moment. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. And how are you enjoying London? Oh, I'm having such a good time. Everybody's been really lovely. Um, the Airbnb where we're staying is like staying at our auntie's house and we've been uh, eating really good food and everywhere we've gone, folk have been very sweet. So it's been great so far. I'm really enjoying myself. And I'm particularly proud because you did tell me that you had a Yorkshire pudding. I did have a Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> I was confused. You know, when someone says pudding, I'm thinking, you know, moist. Um, I wasn't thinking puff pastry. Mm -hmm. And so I was confused. But it was really good. We had a roast. So we had the puff pastry. We had potatoes. Oh. We had beef. We had pork. It was really, really good. Like everything was good. Like we kept saying to our server, this is so good. She was like, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm really glad as well. I'm so <laughs> thrilled. Um, and you know, I, again, I am so thrilled to welcome mm -hmm. you here today because one of the things that we talked about a lot on this podcast is perimenopause and menopause. And I know that's something that you are really passionate about, kind yeah. of opening up this conversation conversation um, and it being a diverse conversation as well because for us I think what I've realized is we tend to see this very much through a white woman's lens and mm. um, there's not enough conversation about the experience for for black women mm -hmm. I mean if you can just tell me about your own experience kind of sure. what you knew about menopause before you went into this um, kind of transitional phase sure you know I will be 56 on April the 18th and I started my menstrual cycle October 31st, 1979. Mm -hmm. So whenever I think about my menstruation, menopause story, I take it back to when I first started my period. Yeah. Because I think we um, compartmentalize mm -hmm. our relationship with menstruation and our periods. And then when we get to menopause, it's almost like, and now you're at the menopause. <laughs> As if it just kind of snuck up on you. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it does kind of feel like you've been snuck up on. But for me personally, um, that journey that I had 
for about 43 years. Mm. Yeah, 43 years I had a menstrual cycle. It was, you know, nothing extraordinary, nothing exceptional. It was fine. I was prepared for that, though, because my mom was a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. And so my mom did this really, really good job of talking to me and my younger sister about our bodies. She didn't use the language you use today. She was a woman of a different generation. Mm -hmm. But she certainly talked about autonomy and agency the way I understand it now. Yeah. Like, this is your body. This is what's going to happen. No one is allowed to touch your body, not even me or daddy, without Mm -hmm. your permission. She just gave us a lot of really good information. And unfortunately, my mother passed away when I was 31. So I feel like the conversation that we would have had, Mm. we didn't get to have physically. Though I I feel her energy and support and love around me still all the time. I really wish that I had been able to sit down across from her over a glass of wine and say, this is different. Yeah. (laughs) This, This is different. This is very different, mommy. This is very different. But I didn't know that menopause actually is on a spectrum Mm. um, and that you don't go full on into the menopause, that you actually have a Mm pregame, which is perimenopause, right? And that can last quite a while until I had a a pregnancy loss. I experienced a pregnancy loss at 40. Mm -hmm. And when I I went to see my OBGYN, um, she said, well, this is not uncommon for perimenopausal women. And I was like, this is not language I don't know that word. I've not heard this (laughs) word before. And so we were talking about the fact that, you know, scientifically, physiologically, you are born with your full complement of eggs. So Mm -hmm. all the eggs you will ever have are with you the first moment you take your breath. Mm -hmm. And they age with you. So as you get older, your eggs get older, which yeah. means also as your hormone levels are changing and your menstrual stri- cycle might start to change, you might also find yourself pregnant at 40 or 41 or 42, which actually was the case for me, my college roommate, and my sorority sister. We were all pregnant at the same time, mm-hmm. 40, 41, and 42. This was my second pregnancy. My um, oldest son is 31. Um, And so it was that that began this process of me understanding, oh, this is much more of a spectrum than I anticipated. Mm. And that your hormones are also still navigating and shifting even after your menstrual cycle ceases. And so I am technically considered postmenopausal. I have not had a menstrual cycle since 2013. But I also know that my body is still being flooded with hormones and that as I navigate and as I get older, my body is continuing to give me information around what I need to feel healthy and grounded and well rested and feel feel at home yeah. you know inside my body yeah. this is the thing like you said that spectrum mm-hmm. a similar thing kind of happened to me and I, I've discussed it a lot on this podcast where we had a doctor in right back on series one and she um, we were talking about fertility and I'd kind of said you know oh, I'm just feeling a bit off and I was 38 at the time mm-hmm. and um, she was like oh yeah it could be perimenopause I was like I'm sorry what is this word exactly. I've never heard this word before and then it was like she lifted a lid yeah. and I was going oh my god mm-hmm. like this is potentially 15 years plus why don't we know about this why don't we know about this Natalie <laughs> why don't we know about why this? don't we know and yeah. then I think then you start asking all these questions going sure. so hold on so we get told, you know, um, puberty, periods, pregnancy. Oh, stop. 
you know, good now. Yeah. That's it. So you bye fall bye. off a cliff. Is that yeah. what happens? Is that is exactly. Is yeah. that what happens? Mm-hmm. And I know obviously for you, you're really passionate about kind of going, hold on a minute. No, mm-hmm. we don't just fall off a cliff. You That's know, right. I, you, there's um, a term that you used that I loved um, recently, which is like the new iteration of you. Yes. And I love that. Yes. And I, it kind of makes me feel more empowered to think actually what a wonderful way to think yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. And what you were just saying then about kind of this constant evolution and our bodies constantly changing, mm-hmm. even post-menopause. Absolutely. Um, what was it for you then that kind of, what was the turning point, the moment where you said, actually, I want to create this podcast. Mm. I want to create a yeah. platform. I actually have been working in um, not-for-profits, NGOs um, since 1995. So a lot of the work that I do in community is centered around social justice, mm-hmm. right? So economic justice, racial justice, gender justice. I've also done quite a bit of work around reproductive justice and protecting the reproductive rights of um, women and women-identified people. Um, But in 2018, I found myself at a really um, burnt-out place. I felt Mm. really crispy and tired. Um, We also lost our first sibling. And our our parents had um, been ancestors for a little while. Um, And as much as you can get used to your parents not physically being in the world, Mm. you kind of learn how to navigate. But when a sibling passes, it's just, it's almost, not even almost, your mortality really does kind of sit down on the bed Mm. beside you and say, yeah, so how you doing? And that's how it felt when our brother passed away. He passed away unexpectedly. He was older, but it was still unexpected. And I think the universe was trying to give me some options. Mm. Like I had gotten divorced. I was working in a national organization doing a lot of travel. My oldest son had graduated from university. My youngest son was getting ready to start middle school. And then my brother passed away. And Mm. I feel like the universe was like, wouldn't you like to slow down for Mm. a bit? And I was like, yeah but I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so what I ended up doing was taking a sabbatical mm. and I used Patreon. Now my oldest son turned me on to Patreon. I had yeah. no idea what it was. He was like, mommy, you should do a Patreon. I was like, I don't even know what that is. And he was like, <laughs> it's crowdfunding. Don't worry. I got you. I help you out. I was like, thank you. And so he helped me get the Patreon set up. And I literally reached out to my community and said, listen, y'all, Omi's tired. I can't do this. If I, if I continue to do this, I'm going to be unwell. And I'm gonna, I'm coming to you and I'm being vulnerable about where I am. And the community response was overwhelmingly enthusiastic and generous, which allowed me to take a full year off of work. Mm. And that's how the Black Girls Guide was born. Because I wanted to talk to other black women who kind of live at the intersection of either social justice work or creative work, um, community work, public service, and be like, how are you doing? Yes. How are, you, how are you doing? How are you mm-hmm. navigating this? What does it feel like to have been married 60 years? What does it feel like to you know, move in the world and you don't have children and now you're aging? Like, What are your plans? How are you taking care of yourself? Things like that. And I talked to Mariah, who's our producer, and I said, I want to do this thing and I feel like I should capture it. And she said, you should do a podcast. Yeah. And I was like, that's a great idea. She's like, you should call it The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. I said, that's funny. That's true. Mm-hmm. And so that's our origin story. That's kind of how we were born. But I realized that not everybody likes to listen to podcasts or even watch conversations like the one we're having right now. So we wanted to find other ways to engage people, which is how the intergenerational conversations were born. And we would bring it to the community and we would invite folk to this very intimate setting 
come up with these really delicious guiding questions that are not age specific, right? Yeah. It's um, questions around where were you in your body 10 years ago? I don't care how old you are. If you're 30, 40, 70, or 90, you can think back to how you felt inside your body 10 years ago, how people experience pleasure, people's relationship with grief and rage, mm. joy, creativity. And we put people in these intergenerational circles and they would talk for about 45 minutes to an hour with each other. They choose the question and they talk. And you could just see the light in people's faces. And also, you could also see people thinking like, yeah. you know, this is a conversation I should probably have with my daughter or my mom or my best friend or my partner or my husband or my wife, which led us to where we are today. We are in season five of the podcast. We've done nine intergenerational gatherings mm -hmm. over the last four years. We started publishing a zine because we're quirky. And <laughs> we wanted to find another way to offer some amazing beauty from the menopausal multiverse. So we started a zine called Messages from the Menopausal Multiverse, which is not about menopause at all. It's really topically offerings that we feel like would make people feel loving or calming or connected. So mm. the first year we did it right after George Floyd's murder. And mm -hmm. we really wanted to offer a balm to the black community to say, you actually know how to keep each other safe. Um, you know how to take care of yourself. Tap into that ancestral energy and look out for each other. We can we can keep each other whole and safe and loved. Um, the second one was around mothering. Um, we have some friends who are in this phase of trying to negotiate either their relationships with their own mothers or their relationship with their children, or do they want to have children? Mm -hmm. They're not sure. And also recognizing that how we mother each other is not bound by gender or even being alive sometimes. And I definitely feel like my mom still mothers me, even though she's been gone now for 25 years. Mm. And then the last thing um, is that we really wanted to be able to engage in some kind of advocacy and policy work. And I know you all have been doing such an amazing job in the UK of elevating this conversation mm -hmm. to a policy level. And I think in the United States, we're still building the bridge to make that happen. And I don't think that people understand that menopause is political, but it certainly is because how a person navigates their menopause experience is absolutely tethered to all of their identities and work. And if we don't have policies in place to protect folk, whether it's around healthcare or workplace policies, then we have another group of people who are likely going to be marginalized as they get older. And we don't want that. No, absolutely not. I'm completely like with you in that. And, and I think you're so right in that sense of, you know, of, of women getting to a point where mm -hmm. If they're not well looked after, if they're not supported, if you know what you've created mm -hmm. is such an amazing thing, and mm -hmm. like I'm sitting here now, and you know you're talking about intergenerational conversations, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking I want to cry. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's a very special yeah. thing, and to bring people together because we don't, I think in this modern day society, we don't have those, um, we don't have the options necessarily to do that unless right. it's provided for us, right. unless somebody like yourself, mm -hmm. you know, comes along and goes mm -hmm. no. We're going to put you all together, mm -hmm. share stories, mm -hmm. share experiences, mm -hmm. and we can learn from each other. We mm -hmm. can learn from our older generations yes. and older generations can learn from the younger generations. Absolutely. Now, unless somebody puts that in front of us, we are so segregated all the time that we don't have that kind of um, that fluid conversation. Yeah. And so when it comes to, like you were saying about policy, mm -hmm. then we get a group of women, like you say, who are then marginalized mm -hmm. because... They're basically stepping away from jobs. 
They mm-hmm. feel like they've lost their confidence. That's right. They can, uh, you know, they don't feel supported. It's so important, isn't it, that we do kind of have these conversations that we're having now to go, it doesn't just stop. It's like, it's a continuation mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. just a woman's conversation. It, shouldn't, it be. shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I think that's confusing for some people. Mm-hmm. Like it's really interesting when we started the platform, I had so many people say to me, well, this is not really about me because I'm not that old yet. And I'm like, if you know, if you have a uterus and ovaries, you should start having this conversation mm-hmm. like now. Or they would say, well, this is going to be something for my mom or my wife or my aunt. And I would say, if you're living in a house with a person who's perimenopausal, it impacts you as well. Mm -hmm. So to have a more intentional, thoughtful conversation exchange where the person can actually be very honest with you about what they don't know. Because more often than not, and I don't know if you feel the same way about the people you have conversations with, so many people say, I don't know what's happening to me. You know, it feels like the, the, the pretty persistent theme is, oh me, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know where I am in this menopause mm-hmm. cycle. Like, am I peri? Am I, po- like, what's the deal? A lot of people feeling like they're coming undone, mm-hmm. which I say, like, if you are going through this wildly transformative experience, it might feel like you're coming undone yeah. um, because you are shape-shifting into another iteration of yourself yeah. and it, you deserve support as you're navigating that. So there are people who felt like their mental health was like not good, that their mood was not good, the fatigue, the the brain fog, the hot flushes, the night sweats. The anger. Just, the anger, <laughs> the rage, yeah. the rage and feeling like, how can I explain to somebody and they would understand what I mean and I not feel judged for that? And so we like to say, you're safe with us, you know, come on and hang out with us on the dark side of the moon. It's okay. We've, we set it up as glamping is very nice. We've got something to drink, something <laughs> soft, you know, some good music. And more than anything else, you will never be judged for being mm-hmm. a human being. Um, you will never be judged for your body changing and you having not been informed about that change and now are trying to figure that out because menopause is a physical experience. Um, it is a cultural experience mm-hmm. and it's a political experience. And so we know that the patriarchy and a lot of ways that we've kind of internalized what it means to be a woman, um, what it means to be femme identified in cultures that have very specific rules or standards, um, when you're looking at that and you might not see yourself or you're looking at that and you're like, that's not explaining to me what's happening. Mm-hmm. You deserve to be in a community of people who can say to you, this was my experience. I'm not sure if it's helpful or not, but here's some suggestions I have. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on television, Natalie. <laughs> but what I do want people to feel like is that they have access to enough information to make a decision um, with their doctor and their family about what they need. They're armed in a way of kind of having the right information, the right tools. And because, you know, for, for many women, for many communities as well, menopause is just not discussed because there's, there's a level of shame Mm -hmm. of stigma. So 
sometimes I find I've found it difficult where I've wanted to have this conversation with certain friends of mine and they're mm -hmm. like, whoa, we don't talk about this. Yeah. Like, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. But we need to talk about it because as you say, somebody could be going through something and absolutely not have a clue. That's right. Put it down to something else, be misdiagnosed right. and potentially lose a good chunk of time or go down a road that's not necessarily for them. That's right. But how do you, and how do you do this? Like, how do you mm. break down the stigma and the shame or, mm -hmm. or try to help people that do feel that shame? Yeah, I, I think we try to be intentional in a couple of ways. One is we're very intentional about the voices that we're going to center. So over the last four years, we have interviewed, the oldest person we interviewed was 89. Mm -hmm. The youngest person we interviewed was 29. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for folk to kind of hear that. It's like, what do you mean you had a 29-year-old? It's like, yes, this is a person who had a full hysterectomy, it was gender-affirming surgery, went immediately into menopause, and the doctors did not tell them. <gasps> yeah, we've, we've heard that Right? Before. And so yeah. then you wake up with hot flashes, mm -hmm. and you're just like, am I dying? Again, what's wrong? Yeah. Right? And it's so, it's so um, upsetting to find, in on, find out on the back end, oh, well, you could have prepared me for this. Like, you could have told me this. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the 89-year-old person could not recall her mother or her grandmother having any kind of conversation with her about her body at all, except for don't get pregnant. Yeah. But she was also born in the American South um, in the 1930s, um, went to high school and college in Jim Crow South, which is super, super segregated, very violent, not safe place for black folk. They were like, go to college, get married, then do your thing, don't have any babies. And she was like, that's it. They were like, that's it. And that was the conversation. Yeah. It was a very generational, you know, conversation. So we don't start with like a meta analysis. Like I, <laughs> I never, you know, it's so funny because I do have an analysis, a very um, clear political analysis for me around women and women's health and, you know, equity. But that's not a place to start. A place to simply start is, well, let's just do some storytelling. Yeah. Let's just do some storytelling. And I love to curate a vibe where people feel like, I want to do storytelling. And so we have good music. And when we're doing it in person, there's a certain smell, like it smells good in the space because we've lit candles and you come in and there's music playing. And then we look like we're happy to see you. Mm -hmm. You know, when you yeah. walk into the space, you're like, Natalie, we're so happy you're here. And you're like, they're so happy. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> and then yeah. we sit down and we just say, listen, this is for you. Mm -hmm. This conversation gets to be as rich as you want it to be and as vulnerable as you want it to be. We say the lessons leave, but the stories stay. So that confidence and confidentiality that you, some people would need, you can say, yeah. listen, y'all, I need you to keep this in a cone of silence. You can take the lesson home with you. Just don't attribute that person's story and go tell the story. Mm -hmm. And then you just watch it unfurl and it's just this really really lovely rhythm where you can see people's faces looking at each other like oh yes oh my goodness oh and you can tell it's it's happening and you can feel the warmth and the energy where what people are talking about will resonate mm -hmm. or they will hear something they've never heard before and it turns them on to a different way of thinking which is ultimately what we want as well so 
I think that my training in um, a model of organizing called popular education that was used during the civil rights movement in the United States to work with um, people who were living in the South who were not literate, who couldn't read. Mm-hmm. Um, they would People would go in, organizers would go in, and they would do story circles. And people would tell story of the community, of their families, how they're experiencing the world. And then they would say, and what would you like to be different? Like after the storytelling, not come in and say, this is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. Don't you want to do something about it? It was more so, how do we develop a relationship with you? How do we give you space to tell your story and to listen to other people's stories? And then how do we say to you, now, what's going on and what would you like to do about it? And how can we help you? It's so fascinating listening to you say that because from from an acting perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about the fact that drama is used quite a lot in drama therapy Mm -hmm. of when somebody can't find quite find the words, but they can role play it and then they can do that and they can find out kind of themselves or they can see that they can play out um, a scenario that's happened. And like you say, pinpoint that moment and go, actually this is where we need to change. This is where we can create change. And it's fascinating to to hear you talk about it like that because essentially I think we need more of that. I think we need more of that kind of in our UK framework Mm -hmm. really to look at a more artistic way Mm -hmm. of dealing Mm -hmm. with um, important social issues Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and putting that into, you know, communities. We've definitely seen people... Um, be more open than they expected to yeah. be at the beginning of an event. And they're like, I cannot believe I got so vulnerable with these folk. And some of the folk they might know and they might not know. But, I, you know, when you were talking about drama and as, a, as an actress, there is something called pedagogy of the oppressed and theater of the oppressed, mm-hmm. right? And that's another way to, to get at working with marginalized communities mm-hmm. to help them find their voice because they have a voice. And they have a story. And what they need oftentimes is an on-ramp to yes. action or an on-ramp to act, you know, to advocacy. And I think story, which is why we say we are a culture and narrative shift project, I think story is the perfect bridge. You know, it humanizes the data. So whatever policy work that might happen in parliament, whatever policy work that might happen at the federal government in the United mm. States, you have to humanize it. People need to know who we're talking about. We're talking about her and them, and they. We're talking about all of these people. And if you invisibilize those people, then you're going to end up with a policy that's actually not serving all of the people. Mm -hmm. And we definitely don't want that to happen. So we're very unapologetic about centering marginalized voices. We're like, we can't have another... I don't know, cultural movement happen in the world and have marginalized people still left at the margins. That's just not going to, that makes no sense to me because we're in a different place. We're two years away from one billion people all over the world being menopausal. Two years. Where is the conversation with the WHO? Where is the conversation with the UN? Why have I'm I'm waiting for the, the invitation to the conference? Like, where's the conference? That yeah, we're like, having about why, why is there still at this point sure. so so much like information that's sure. lacking and like globally that's lacking? And again, like we've said, you know, communities that aren't yeah. um, getting the right um, like help that they need. You know, and and I know, like, I think you're the same as me in terms of 
podcasting is such a brilliant way to reach communities mm -hmm. that otherwise wouldn't have access That's to right. healthcare or information, you know, but you can go on Spotify, potentially on your phone or, or you know, whichever, wherever else you get your podcast yeah. from and find out that really vital information because where you live does have a massive effect on what you have access to, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. I think it's important for us to say that and frame that in a way that doesn't problematize the individual for living where they are yeah. or for being who they are, but as context, mm -hmm. right? I think yeah. context is really, really important. I remember being in the third grade in elementary school and we got these really thick readers because we were learning about reading comprehension. And at the beginning of each short story, there was always a box and it said context clues. And it would ask you key questions. Who's the antagonist? Who's the protagonist? Mm -hmm. Who's speaking? What What is the theme? And so I was always diving into the story thinking, who's the antagonist in this story? Who's the protagonist in this story? What's the What are the themes in this story? Because then it would ask you questions at the end of the passage. I think that women's health mm. is unfortunately often devoid of context. Yeah. And so when you show up at your doctor's office or your healthcare provider's office, if they're not interested in the context of all of who Natalie is or all of who Omi is, mm -hmm. then how are they going to provide you with the care that you deserve and need? They can't because they're making assumptions. They're going to look at you. They're gonna like, oh, I know who this person is. But they haven't asked you any questions. And, and not just physical questions around your, your medical history. Does mm -hmm. anybody in your family have a history of cancer? Well, yeah, but I also do all this work. And I have these two amazing boys. And I do this. And so I'm grateful that I have the doctor I do have. Because I've gone to the same doctor for almost 22 years. And he's really funny. He's like, you're going to save the world. And I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to save the world. But I'm definitely definitely going to do my best to be a part of whatever is going to be saving the world. And he's like, and I need you to be healthy. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. We can totally do that together. So he's team on me. Yeah. And I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, you're right in the sense that, you know, you do need to be healthy and you do need that context mm -hmm. because if when you're going to go in, into a doctor's office, like you've just said, you know, you need to be able to kind of put all of the markers in place to get a proper diagnosis. That's and obviously... Right. Sadly, we know that not a, a lot of women don't get that they don't. and they don't know what the symptoms are and they don't know what kind of they're mm -hmm. experiencing. Mm -hmm. For you personally, you mm. know, what, how do, how do you look to navigate through this and like be as well as possible, yeah. you know, for if anyone was thinking like, I'm not sure if this is me or not. And obviously each woman's experience is very right, different. Right, right. For, what have you noticed and what would you go to sure. or look at? You know, one thing I'm very, very grateful for, Natalie, is I have an amazing group of close friends. Um, like you met my friend Lee. Um, I have folk who have been in my life for 40 years or more. So I met them when I was girl, mm -hmm. you know, and they're my line of first defense in any situation, oftentimes, where if I'm grappling with something or I'm excited about something, I'm going to share it with them because they allow me to process with them without any judgment. And they will ask me, what do you need? Do you just need me to listen? Um, are we celebrating? You know, are we problem solving? Like, what do you need? And if I say I need a problem solve, they give me good things to think about, mm -hmm. good questions. And I do the same thing with them. And so one of the things that kind of has happened as a result of me having this really close group of friends is that I kind of offer to folk that same kind of energy yeah. with the platform. Mm -hmm. And so if someone's saying, you know, my doctor's kind of dismissive or... 
they're so quick. I feel like I'm in and out in 20 minutes and they haven't had a conversation with me. And one of the things my, my sister circle and I have talked about is what are your top like three things that you want at the doctor's office? You want to go in with what you want to ask them about, right? Um, what's the priority? What is the priority? So we can talk about that. Second thing is ask them, do you have time to speak with me? And if they don't, can we schedule a follow-up appointment? Because I need, I need to talk with you. And then three, what are all of my options? Not just the options that you feel like are the best, but what are all of my options? Because ultimately, I, make a, I need to make a decision around the best options for myself. Mm-hmm. And we do, I do that with my girlfriends. They do that with me. And I really love that we have that kind of relationship where we support each other. But I'm also a very spiritual person. Yeah. And so I have a really strong spiritual community. Community that allows me to kind of connect with people on a, in a spiritual way around things that I'm celebrating that I'm grateful for um, and things that feel challenging that I, are, I think are lessons and giving me, again, more information about myself and how I can choose to show up, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a more grounded way. And that, then I think the other thing that grounds me is definitely my, my culture and my community. Um, growing up in the South um, as a black person is complicated. And the South has a very complicated history. And I love being a Southerner. I love my family. I love the food. I love the rituals. I love the energy. I love everything about the South, um, with the exception of racism. Mm. Um, if we could just like find yeah. a way to like extrapolate that permanently that would make the south just for me like the most perfect place. So those are the things that I kind of think about like and I say that to people, who are the people you can trust? Mm. Um how are you going to be in better or right relationship with your doctor? And how does your culture or your community hold you or support you with this journey? Because I think you deserve all of those things. Um, and to help people figure out, well, if you don't have that, how can you start working on that? Because mm. it's not over till it's over. And so if you're still here, you still have an opportunity to do something differently. You've talked as well um, before about, I love this idea and this phrase of, um, well, two things. One is it's a privilege actually to kind of hit menopause and to go through that passage and also there's this idea of stepping into the menopausal multiverse now I love this because the multiverse for me is like marvel you know my son is nearly 11 so for me it's like wow all these like different versions of of, like self and being and yeah just explain that to me absolutely so I am totally a nerd um (laughs) and my and my boys are definitely marvel people too so I think that the multiverse and I love science fiction and speculative fiction so I I would say it's like one part Marvel, one part Octavia Butler, where I am looking (laughs) deeply, deeply into, is this the only thing? Mm. Is this the only version of myself? And, you know, string theory in physics says that there's infinite possibilities. So if there are infinite possibilities, I absolutely believe that there has to be a menopausal multiverse and that there's wisdom there. There's healing there stories, joy, creativity, amazing sex, good food, um, devoid of um, the messages and the imagery that an aging female body is a problem. Mm-hmm. That like that doesn't exist in the multiverse. Oh, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like that doesn't exist. It's like no matter 
who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how you gender identify, no matter your sexuality, you are welcome in the menopausal multiverse. And you can be exactly who you choose to be, not who society chooses for you. I watched um, the show on HBO called Lovecraft Country. It was on a couple of years ago. It was wildly popular. And the actress Anjanue Ellis played this character called Hippolyta Freeman. And she got sucked into this multiverse situation. And the sentient being kept asking her the same question. What is your name? And where do you want to be? And I just was so overcome with emotion Mm -hmm. watching this particular episode because she wanted her to name herself. She's like, I'm not going to name you. You get to name you and you get to choose where you want to be. And once she figured out that she wasn't in harm's way, that she wasn't in peril, she said, I'm Hippolyta and I want to be in Paris with Josephine Baker. And the next thing you know, she gets snatched through this like time warp and she's dancing in Paris. (laughs) So I just think that so much about empowering people that leads ultimately to a more liberated free person is to remind them you get to name yourself Mm. and you get to choose where you want to be and you deserve the help to get to those places. The expectation is not that you always know how to do it, but that I want people to believe that you can do it. It's it's totally possible. Um, And I I hope that for everybody. I I completely agree with you completely a hundred 10,000% like mm. uh, it's it's that idea of um of having choice of feeling liberated and feeling like who gets who te- who's telling me that this is That's wrong right. who's right. telling me that you know we can't have great great sex who's telling me yeah. that I shouldn't take HRT or I should take HRT or if I'm 39 or 40 right. I shouldn't have it but actually it might be better for me it might not be but That's it right. might be at least I've got a choice That's and right. it's about having choice isn't it I think I'm in- extremely passionate about that me about too. women feeling like they've got it all in front of them and they make the decision you make the decision yeah. and, and you need enough good information quality information to make the decision that makes the most sense to you. Because also, you know, when we think about, you know, there's been several studies that talk about the experience of um, black women, indigenous women, other women of color being mm-hmm. different. And mm-hmm. so folk like, well, what's different between you and I? Physiologically, nothing. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing physiologically different between white people and black people or indigenous people. What's different is, again, the context, mm-hmm. right? Your family context, um, your cultural context, your community context, and also how you might be navigating in the world um, with systems of oppression, whether that's racism or homophobia, or xenophobia, things like that, which certainly is going to increase your cortisol levels mm. if you're stressed out about the violence your family might meet. And if you have sustained cortisol levels or sustained adrenaline, it does damage to your body. Mm. And can you imagine having that sustained cortisol and adrenaline level repeatedly generation after generation is transferred from mother to child. And so epigenetics is real. Epigenetics is where we understand that trauma can be transferred generationally, but so can the medicine, Mm. so can joy. And so what we're trying to help people suss out for themselves is where are you in your trauma shape? What is your understanding of your menopause journey? And don't you want to own it? Don't you want to be in control of that? And so we are calling on those other versions of ourselves, the the Natalie and the Omi from the multiverse to be like, 
come on, because they're not judged, you know? So they're just like, we can do this together. And you're like, thank you, let's do this together. And I'm very excited about folk like yourself and other people in the community who continue to like use their platform to elevate these conversations because I, you recognize that people will listen to you. Mm. You know, they'll say, oh, I saw this thing and I read this thing. They may have had the same conversation with their doctor or a best friend, but it didn't resonate. And so when you have a place or um, a position where you speak and people are listening to what you say, I think it's very important to be mindful of how you present information so people can get accurate information. And like you said, they can get the best information sure. and that they can then, again, it just comes back to that choice, yeah. having the power of choice mm-hmm. so that you can live the best life that you want to live. You Absolutely. don't have to kind of be put into a box, whether that's kind of like, yeah. oh, you're done now, you know, in the workplace, especially, yeah. oh, you should step away now. Right. Actually, you know what? No, I don't want to step away. Right. I, I really want to, I might be experiencing symptoms. It might be brain fog. It might be rage. That's it right. could be lots of different things. But once I've got all that in front of me and I know, and I know how to combat that, whether it's exercise, diet, right. fashion, you know, yes. fat fun, like yes. ex- expressing yourself in a completely different way mm-hmm. that you might not have ever done before. Mm-hmm. Once you're given all those tools, mm-hmm. you can go at it. Yeah. And like you were saying, you know, step into that multiverse. Yeah. I mean, talk. I just want to talk to you about your fashion and style oh, sense because, you, you. I mean, you look so beautiful thank and gorgeous. Has it, how, would you say you've evolved um, as, as the years have gone by? I thought I had evolved, but clearly my friends say that I've had this fashion sense. I don't think that's accurate at all. I think the 80s were a little (laughs) sketchy, but I I tried a lot of things um, with my hair and my outfits in the 80s. I was definitely looking like United Colors of Benetton. (laughs) (laughs) I looked like a Skittle, you know, just had a lot of different colors going on hair-wise and and clothing-wise. I think that my style um, reflects one who I am culturally. Um, I think it um, reflects um, a bit of edginess mm-hmm. and also some sensuality. Yeah. I like earth tones and jewel tones. Um, I like bold things. I'm, a, I'm an Aries, born in April. And so I love bold, bright spring kind of colors mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I like things that... Um, it's part of my pleasure practice. Like you yeah. were talking about, you know, there are things that you can do as you get older that you derive pleasure from. Um, and I derive pleasure from accessories and I call them Omi accoutrement. So like my earrings. Oh, I love that. Yes, my <laughs> earrings and my rings. Like these are things that I feel like are adornment mm-hmm. um, and, I enjoy, and I enjoy adornment. I also recognize that part of this is my mask as well. It's a way that I keep myself protected. Mm. Um, And I was kind of struggling a bit around, you know, does this mean I'm a charlatan? Am I presenting myself truthfully and honestly? And my therapist, who's amazing, was like, no, I understand why, especially for women, like as you're navigating in the workplace and in your career, you assume certain roles and positions. And so you assume the uniform Mm. that you think is going to be appropriate for that particular space. And because I've worked in social justice, I've had a lot more levity and flexibility, but I've always gone for bold. Yeah. Always gone for bold. But there's a so- much softer side of myself that um, I've been allowing to come through more publicly. And I like that. And I think that I'm also trying to be more 
fully integrated with all the different versions of myself. So sometimes people will see me in something very bold like this, and then they'll see me in a very soft kind of white outfit and my hair up in two big Afro puffs where I look like a little kid. And I like that too. Mm -hmm. So I think um, my fashion is multifaceted, but bold and soft. Um, and I think it definitely reflects who I am. Who you are. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 some women, you know, they, they struggle at this point in life, yeah. don't they? When they start to kind of enter these sure. perimenopausal years, um, menopause, postmenopause. It, they, it, it shapes, you know, change yeah. your body. Exactly. Menopausal boobs. These are different boobs. <laughs> these are not. These are not. These are not. I just want to be just clear with people. These are not the same boobs I had when I was twenty-five, or even when I was forty-one and was like nursing my youngest son. I'm like, these are different boobs, and they require much better undergarments. And also, just I want to feel good no matter what size my body mm -hmm. is, and my body has changed so much over the last fifteen years, and so I find clothes that are suited for my body, but still make me feel good. Not suited for my body and I look like I'm wearing a potato sack. Like I don't want to give way to that's age appropriate, but it's bland and yeah. dry and not attractive. Like age appropriate is a, a, a by whom? Yeah, I was just about to say by that. Who, by who standards? Who de yeah, who determined was age appropriate? So I think if you like it, I love it. And if you feel comfortable in it, wear it and wear it proudly and be excited and try new things and you know um, be bold and and daring in how you show up in the world i i want to encourage that for sure yeah some women definitely get more frightened as their body changes sure. don't they and and yeah. kind of you know did you ever have that moment of like a a confidence crisis ever or, mm. or like a moment of going oh i don't know what to do and how you do you know, get out of that i think that if i'm being honest you know one of my practices is that I look in the mirror um, naked every day and I, I send love to the parts of my body like feels like it either needs it or is looking particularly sexy that day. So ah. I'm like, oh, look at your shoulders being all smooth and <laughs> brown and warm. Oh, that's yummy. Or look at your thighs. Whew. They are looking super thick today and not like in a good way. So I'm going to send some extra love to myself yeah. to remind me that these thighs have carried me for 55 years, carried me through the pandemic, carried me while I carried two babies. And so I, I just keep giving myself permission. So I think that my confidence level um, depends on the day, depends on how rested I am, um, depends on my ability to push out negative messages that mm. say to me as somebody who's almost 56 that you're past your prime, um, you're not beautiful, you're not desirable, and you should just sit down and be quiet. And when that noise gets in my head, I'm like, that's actually not true and you're being mean to me and I'm just going to invite you to go. Mm. Right? Um, and I also lean on my girlfriends. Like We do a really good job of being like, you should wear the dress. You should wear those shoes. No, that's sexy. No, that, no, wear that. If you don't wear that, I'm going to be mad at you. So yeah. we really do encourage each other to lean into um, wearing the things that make us feel really good about ourselves for our gaze, mm. not for the gaze of someone else, for my gaze. I want to look at myself through the gaze of a black woman and be like, you are so pretty on me. I want that to come from me first. And so that those, there are things that I do to like help myself in the days I don't feel good. 
I just love up on myself really, really hard that day. And I get up and I do it again the next day. I think that having a practice is not about perfection. Mm. It's about a commitment. And I have a commitment to living in an embodied free life. Am I good at it every day? Absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely not. There are days I wake up, I'm like, well, that's new. <laughs> well, where did that come from? <laughs> and I'll call my cousin play. Do you have? She's like, I absolutely do. And we're like, that's weird. And so we have this whole conversation around the different ways that our bodies are changing. And then there are days when I wake up and I'm like, you know what? You are all right with me. You're, yeah. you're jazzy. And then I'll say to my younger son, Taj, I'm like, I feel kind of jazzy today. He's like, you look jazzy. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so I think it's important for you to have good people around you. But the first person who should be loving you is you. A hundred percent. And it, it is hard though, isn't it? Like when your body is changing, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've had very subtle changes over the last kind of two years since I turned 40 mm -hmm. and, and you have to get to a place of acceptance. And that's a really hard place it to get to. Hard. It's like, oh, you know, my legs are different to how they were. Yeah. You know, I'm not the size that I was, yeah. but that's all right. Yeah. It's okay. And as you say, honoring your body and honoring the fact that, you know, actually I, you know, I was lucky enough to carry a child or, you know, this has happened, or I've, I've ran a half marathon, mm -hmm. all these things that your amazing body mm -hmm. has done. Mm -hmm. And just taking a moment to go, come on I'm now. So yeah, so be grateful, grateful. Be, be grateful yeah. and be thankful. Yeah. And I think that acceptance, self-acceptance, it does start with yeah. that. And, and it can be really tough, can't it? Kind of looking at yourself in the mirror yeah. and having that conversation one-on-one. -on -one. And we all have different lives. You know, I recognize that it's easy for me to say, I want folk to be grateful. But some people haven't felt like they've had anything in their life to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, and they are moving in the world differently. And what I really want for folk to feel like they have the autonomy to make a decision around how they can live their best life for themselves. Like, I just think that no matter who you are, um, whether you are neurodivergent or you're differently abled or you're low wealth person who's like been living in poverty. Like I feel like there has to be a way for folk to come together to look out for each other mm. and to create pathways for us to take care of each other. Because when we take care of each other, everybody's better. Like literally everybody's better. If we take care of the folk who are most marginalized, everybody's better. And so I try not to be overly enthusiastic or pessimistic in one way. I try to be very balanced mm. um, because I do recognize the hard things and they're real. They're not made up. Um, if you think that you've experienced something that's based on systemic oppression, you probably have. It's not made up. It's not all in your mind. Mm -hmm. And I also don't want to do the um, kind of toxic resiliency or toxic yeah. like everything's great. You're Positivity sweet. all the time. Because that's not true either, which yeah. is why, you know, you were teasing before we came on about good moms say bad yeah. words. Oh, gosh. We do. And, I, you know, to humanize mothering felt like a really important thing for me to do. My boys are 16 years apart and they tease that they got two different moms. My <laughs> oldest son, Che, was, says my younger son, you have a different mother because <laughs> mommy's so chill now. And she was not when I was. I wasn't. I was much more fiery, quicker to snap at him. Mm -hmm. I also would do physical punishment with him. I did, you know, and I don't, I don't do that with my younger son. Like I decided that there was a different way mm. to parent my boys that didn't include fear, but did include respect and deference. And I recognized that my older parents parented me in a way that was 
all about keeping your children safe. Mm. That's it. Bottom line is, are the children safe? Will they make it home? Can they go to college? Are you safe? And that meant that sometimes the way that they disciplined us was fear-based, mm. right? And I just decided that I don't want that to be at the core of how my kids experience my parenting. I want them to understand at the core, I love you. And I am trying to do my best with your dads, give you all the information you need so you can move in this world as a fully actualized human being who's happy and safe. Like, like that's all I want is for you to be happy and it's safe. It's so hard when you say that. Like when I think about me and my son and my parenting, I, I it was, I suppose, quite similar in the sense that my grandma kind of had me, mm -hmm. uh, had me predominantly when I was little because my mom was working all mm -hmm. the time and mm -hmm. she was a single parent, mm -hmm. very young parent. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, like Irish Catholic, very, strict you know kind of that fear-based yes. guilt everything yes. and and that was the way I think that we were and that I lived mm -hmm. and there'll be times now with my son and I I think no it's all right it's all right to have a bit of fear yeah but then I sometimes think ah oh, but I don't want him to be frightened right. and I don't want him to experience the right. world in the way I experienced right. it. So right. how can I do this differently? Right. But then you do end up with that mum guilt that's like, I'm doing this all wrong. Yeah. And you know, well, that's why I was yeah. laughing with your t-shirt. Yeah. Like it, you had the sweatshirt that said, you know, good moms say bad, bad oh, words. Yeah. And I was like, I feel seen oh, because I, I want to do it all perfect and I'm not and I can't. <laughs> and there's no such thing. <laughs> yeah. there's no, it's all a setup if you think that parenting yeah. is perfection. It's, it's really funny. I um, said, to my youngest son, I said, you think that I'm kind of quirky, don't you? He said, I think you're really quirky, but you're like my mom quirky. So I'm appreciative of that. And I was like, okay. And we have this very open um, relationship where I can say to him, you know, I'm kind of disappointed in like the way you manage that situation. And um, let's talk about that. Can you help me like understand your thinking? And that has led to him being a much more critical thinker mm. about his own decision-making. And of course, he's only about to be 15, so I know that his brain is still developing. But th planting that seed now, I think, sets him up for success to be mm. much more emotionally intelligent. And I experienced that with his brother, like after I made it the shift to stop yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, we are very close. And he's been like my mentor during this whole creative process. He's just like, you can do it, mom. I'm like, I'm scared. And he was like, why are you scared? Like, everything is constructed anyway. So like, do what you want to do and be happy. I'm like, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> but he must have got those lessons from you, though, as well. He we have must a, have kind of uh -oh. heard you. And, you know, I, I've taken, I will be taking that from you today for mm. sure. Like, of, of going, actually, you know what? You can do this. Yeah. So maybe he is repeating your Perhaps. kind of words back to you Perhaps. because yeah. you it lands them. on me in a way that's very yeah. lovely. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like your personal go-tos, you know, for your own well-being, mm -hmm. what are the things, products, mm. practices that you turn oh, to? I love yoga so much. Yeah. Um, yoga has become a very personal, intimate practice for me mm -hmm. that not only helps me feel strong in my body, but also grounds me like energetically. There are times where I can be on my mat and I could be in tears because I just feel like my body needed the release. Yeah. Um, and there are times where I feel so incredibly strong. I'm like, look at you. You're doing such a good job. So I feel like yoga is that movement practice that I love. Um, I love um, dancing and hanging out with friends and listening to good music. So if there's good music involved, we're definitely going to be singing. I cannot sing, <laughs> but I love to sing. But you're going to let it out. I'm going to let it out anyway with a lot of verve. <laughs> um, and so I love to dance and I love to sing. Um, 
love cultural things that will kind of connect me with my family, especially my family in North Carolina. So spending time with my older siblings mm-hmm. and us eating together and just telling stories and spending time together. I love nature. Um, where we live in North Carolina is not that far from a, um, a river that I like to go to. And I'll get up early in the morning and I'll go to the river as soon as it opens up, the park opens, and I'll just kind of sit at the river and relax and Eat a, eat a sandwich there and just, you know, spend some time, read a book, listen to music, put my feet in the water. So I just find ways to consistently ground myself. Yeah. Um, and when the times when I don't feel like it's necessarily working the way that it has in the past, I know that I'm still getting the medicine mm-hmm. that I need and that it'll it'll arrive when I when I really need it to. I feel like we're so similar. Mm-hmm. Like the things that you've just mentioned, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, all of those. Yeah. You know, even last week I had a really good cry mm-hmm. just because I could feel it building so up. Let and me I was let like, it go. do you know what? I'm gonna put some music on and I'm gonna cry real hard to this yes. and let it out. That's right. And honestly, I felt so much better. Yes. And I think it's giving ourselves permission, isn't it? Give yes. yourself permission to feel. Yes. To feel, to share, and to experience. I would say this to you, Natalie. My my parents, my mom was born in 1930 um my dad was born in 1929 and so emotions was not something they did Mm. um they made sure that we were safe made sure we had a roof over our heads food in our bellies you know some entertainment we were definitely active kids and you know if we wanted to go to college we can go to college right but the emotion thing I was a very sensitive kid and my parents were like "Mm -mm, pull it in and so I have been on this journey in my 50s to let my emotions be more present and also not feel undone by them. So if I feel like I'm feeling emotional or feeling hypersensitive, I just give myself a moment to kind of like check in and be like, why are you feeling like you want to cry? Do you want to cry? Because you can, you know, and if you cry, it's okay. As opposed to when I was younger, I would I would rather chew my arm off than mm. cry. So I've gotten to a place where I feel much more accepting of my emotions and my sensitivities, um, and know that I'm not being held hostage by them, Mm -hmm. that they are again telling me something I need to know. So if I feel emotional, I I need to know why that is, and I get to check it out. I love the idea there as well of the things that you've just said. It makes me think of that self-parenting, that actually, you know what, it's, you you can parent yourself, you yeah. can love yourself, you, you can, can hug yourself, you can take your ba- yourself back to that being that little person mm-hmm. and just go, actually, it's all right. You know, have that conversation mm-hmm. with yourself. Yeah. Sit in the moment yeah. with, yourself with yourself and allow yourself like, to really think it out and hash it out in your own head. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be difficult to be alone with your own thoughts. Yeah. But actually, I love the idea like, yeah, of self-parenting, of being like, actually you know what, I've take, I've got those, like what you were saying before about being connected to mm-hmm. your ancestors, being connected to your mom and dad through the lessons that they've taught you. Mm-hmm. And also through maybe some of the things that like you've said, you know, would have been potentially different right. or, or, you know, like a different experience, but going actually mom and dad, you know, um, maybe I, I wouldn't do that with my child now, but I'm still connected. I'm very connected to them, mm-hmm. to the lessons. And I'm going to now pass this through and mm-hmm. hope for, the next generation That's and going right. back to that intergenerational That's storytelling, right. feeling, right. empathy, compassion. Mm-hmm. It's um, all present for us. I think that's one of the most beautiful things is that we get to rewrite our stories and we also get to do that where our children get to bear witness to it. And our children bearing witness to struggle and health, happiness 
and sadness, the full range of emotions mm. that sometimes, you know, we don't want our kids to see that. And I do recognize that there is like this parenting thin line that I don't want my kids to feel like they have to parent me. Yeah. So while I do make myself way more um, emotionally vulnerable than my parents did with me, I still hold back because I don't want them to feel like I should then do something to help mom. That's not their role to play. Yeah. So, but I do want them to see when I'm excited when I'm angry, when I failed, Mm -hmm. right? When I failed or when I got a hard lesson, when I needed to apologize, you know, I've apologized to them on different occasions around my tone or things I've said. I'm like, you know what? That wasn't okay. I need to apologize to Mm -hmm. you. And to have your parent apologize to you feels really important to Mm -hmm. experience that because some of us can go an entire lifetime and and know that your parent probably should have, but never said, you know what? I'm I apologize for that. That was not okay. Mm. And I want to make it right. Yeah. And um, just before we, we have to kind of uh, finish up, just for any woman out there, you know, that's kind of possibly entering into this sure. perimenopausal, menopausal phase yes. and really thinking, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to go or help. Yeah. What, what would you say to them? What would be your words of advice? The very first thing I would say is I believe you. So whatever you're experiencing, physically or emotionally or mentally, I believe you. I definitely believe Mm you. Um, And the second thing I would say to them, take a breath. Just take a breath for a second. Like, give yourself a moment. And give yourself a moment to think about who do I trust the most, who I can start sharing this information with. Um, And think about what are the questions you want to ask your doctor, right? And let your doctor know... I'm experiencing some things I've not experienced before. I need you to walk with me through this because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's happening. Can you do that? And ask them, can you do that? And if they say no, can you give me a referral? Because maybe you don't need to be going to your GP. Maybe you need to be going to someone else. Maybe you need to go see a reproductive endocrinologist. Maybe there's just someone else who could assist you with what you need if your doctor's not the person. And if your doctor is that person, but you don't particularly like their energy, then vote with your feet and don't stay. Mm. You don't have to be wedded to a doctor because that's where you've been going. You can leave. You can leave and be like, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm good here. I think, I, I think we should go our separate ways at this point because I don't think you're going to be able to help me with this next part of my journey because mm-hmm. you deserve someone who wants to be a part of that journey with you. And then I think maybe the last thing I would say is there are a lot of resources on Instagram. Um, check them out and take your time. Folk who have podcasts, folk who have health you know, conversations, folk who are talking about sexuality, folk who are talking about mental health. There are a lot more things out there than there ever have been. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Take your time. You don't have to become part of anything you don't want to become part of. You can just take it in. And figure out what makes the most sense for you, you know? And that, I think that's what I would say. Oh. And I, ho- and I would hope that it would be helpful, you know? It's just like, and I hope it's helpful and just know, hang in there. Yeah. Try your best to hang in there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, like you say, it's it's a long journey and, and it's ever evolving. It is. And you're ever evolving. Yeah. And so, like, be accepting of that. Yeah. I don't want this conversation <laughs> to end. 
and I love I'm this so conversation. Honestly, I'm like, oh, I know I've got to get to the end now and I don't want to. <laughs> I will wrap it up though. Um, let me just get to the end. Guys, I'm telling you, I didn't want to wrap this up. Um, but yes, we have run out of time mm -hmm. for today. It has been so wonderful to have you Thank with you. us. I mean, honestly, I just want to come home with you. Aww. I want to go to all the intergenerational <laughs> gatherings. I'm, I want to just, can we be friends? Yes, yes, forever. Yes, <laughs> honestly, it was, it's been fantastic, honestly, just to get your wisdom, your mm. expertise, your experience and hearing kind of how you navigate through this and how you're so inclusive of bringing people together through what can be a really difficult time, a very frightening time for many people. Mm -hmm. But also beyond that, you know, beyond the menopausal multiverse, you know, the work that you're doing elsewhere, it's yeah. just, you can feel kind of how you want people to really feel part of something and part of community yeah. and have that that group of people where no one feels alone and I think that really shines through and it's, it's something that I'm really going to take away from, okay. from our conversation okay. today. It's been absolutely wonderful. If you would like to keep up with Omi then please go and follow her on Instagram at Omi Shardy Bernie Scott and also at Black Girls Guide to Menopause. You can also follow us as well. Uh, go to our website, www.thecapsule.co.uk for more fashion, health and well-being. You can also follow us on all of our podcast channels by going to the In Conversation page. You'll also find all the details to our YouTube and also you can find us on Instagram at Official Capsule. Please feel free to leave us a direct message, leave us any rates, reviews, questions, questions that you want to pose to any of our previous guests or future guests so yeah get involved with us there all that's left for me to say today is goodbye so it's goodbye from Omi bye thank and you and goodbye from me bye bye